Well, like Gabe said, I'm glad that you guys made it. I told the 9 o'clock, you guys are either the, the real faithful ones or the ones with four-wheel drive, but either way, I believe God brought you here. So, good work. Let me, uh, let me just take a moment to pray again for us. I just want to kind of silence our hearts as we come to this word. Uh, it's an interesting passage for us this morning, so I'm excited. But let me pray, and then we'll jump in. Father God, would you be with us now as we as a church family come under your word? We want to be uh, encouraged, rebuked, comforted, exhorted, whatever you need to do in us this morning. God, would would this be a, a, a moment and a few minutes of just encouragement? As Paul says in this passage, would you give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation? Would you show us who you are today? Would you lead us and guide us? Would you help me? Would you help us just to uh, know you better? Would you give us sharp minds and soft hearts as we come to your word? Would you be with us now? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning, I want us to reflect for a moment uh, on a simple question uh, that may have a lot of different answers. But I want us to think through uh, maybe your first instinct, so kind of your guttural response to, to this question. What is the biggest need... In the church today. Biggest need in the church today. It doesn't matter if you've uh, been in church for 50 years or maybe this is your first time in years. Uh, from your perspective, as you um, uh, know Christians, as you know the church, as you've looked in on the church, what would you say is the biggest need for the church today? I, uh, I did a little scholarly research this week, which meant I typed that question into Google, and I thought, okay, let me just see what people are saying, and uh, believe it or not, there's plenty of blogs and podcasts and articles on what the church needs to be like, or what the church needs to do, or act like, or all of that, and so here's a couple of the most common ones that I started to see as I researched this a little bit. Um, one of the biggest ones right now was I saw that the church needs to fight for the unborn. That was one of the first ones I saw. Other people said the church needs to know their Bibles more. We need to be more biblically literate. Uh, One said that the church needs to keep up or die. Meaning the church needs to just adapt to culture, needs to kind of keep up with culture, or else it's going to die. I saw ones that said the church needs to be more tolerant. Or the church needs to be more generous. The church needs to adapt more. One said the church needs to uh, be better at marketing and needs a bigger social media Presence. The church needs to fight for reconciliation amongst races. There are all these different ideas and opinions. And so for you this morning, what would you say is the biggest need in the church today? I would assume for some of you it might be something along these lines. But let me go one step deeper and ask, what, what would you say, what do you think Uh, If God was peering into our church and he gave us the answer, he said, here's the biggest need in the church today. What do you think God's answer is? What do you think God's answer is to the question, what's the biggest need in the church today? In our passage in Ephesians this morning, um, I think we get that answer. Right? So, so we believe about the Bible that it was, it was written by men, right? that Paul was the author of this letter, but we believe that God inspired it, that he authored it, that he guarded and protected this writing. So when we hear what Paul says in Ephesians, we're actually hearing what God is saying. And so in this passage, I think we're going to get a look at God's answer to what the church 
needs. So if you've got a Bible, go to Ephesians 1. We'll start in verse 15 here in a second. Um, one of the things that's been fun for me this week, if you've read this passage before, maybe in your Bible there's a little heading um, that says this is Paul's prayer for the Ephesian church. It was fun for me this week because uh, Paul is writing kind of as a pastor over this church and he's praying for this church and so it was a unique week where I got to just kind of immediately put myself in Paul's shoes and how he's viewing and seeing the Ephesian church I get to view and and see our church as he prays for the Ephesian church I get to just immediately pray for our church and so I want you to know that what we're about to read what we're going to look at here for the next few minutes is it was my daily prayer for us as a church this week Uh, because I thought if it was good enough for Paul's heart for his church. It's good enough for my heart for our church. And so every day I just prayed this for us. And so we're going to look at uh, Paul's answer to what the biggest need in the church is. But before we get there, uh, verses 15 and 16, they kind of give us some context. Right? He's kind of setting us up a little bit and then we'll get to the answer. So read with me in verses 15 and 16 of Ephesians 1. He writes, For this reason... Because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks to you, remembering you in my prayers. So the text begins with the simple phrase, uh, for this reason. Now that's kind of a transitional phrase there. So what he's doing is he's connecting something that he just said and something he's about to say. And if you were here the last three weeks, you know we took three weeks to examine one really long, complex, run-on sentence all about how God blesses and saves his people. It was amazing. It was like a third grader who forgot punctuation. And it's just like phrase after phrase after phrase. It's just this massive sentence about how good God is. Now in verse 13... Uh, Paul actually says that all of that, all of what we just read that was this beautiful news of salvation was not new to the Ephesian church. In verse 13 he says uh, that you've actually heard this word, believed, and have been saved. So all of what he just said, this is not new to them. He's reminding them of the gospel. They believed in it. And now in verse 15 he says that he's actually heard stories about this. Paul was in Ephesus, helped plant the church, and then left. And now a little while later, he's writing back to the church and he's saying, look, I've been hearing stories of your faith and love. Look at verse 15. He says, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. Again, this was a, a fun week for me because, like I said, I got to just kind of put myself in Paul's shoes here. And as he just kind of is thankful for his church, because he's hearing these stories, I decided um, that as one of the pastors here at our church, I wanted to hear stories. You know, like Paul got to hear like these stories of the church that's believed the gospel and is now living that out. Uh, I said, man, I, I want to hear some of that. And so at our, we have a staff meeting on Mondays. And so we just took 20 minutes and I just asked our team, I said, hey, would you just share with me a few stories from our church? Real stories of real people that have faith in the Lord Jesus and love toward the saints. And it was, uh, I just got kind of blown away by all these stories that just poured out. I want to share a few with you. Um, I heard a story this week about a lady named Kelsey in our church. 
And Kelsey, for a handful of years now, has been struggling uh, with a health illness. And uh, she's been pretty sick, and it's been fairly debilitating at times as she's trying to go through school and getting a job. Uh, and it's just been a trial for years. And it's been confusing and, and frustrating because she said that uh, she didn't know what was causing it. They couldn't figure out when it would happen or how severe it would be. And, and it was just frustrating year after year. Um, but I got to hear the story of how Kelsey told someone on our staff team, that she was confident that God was either going to heal this illness or use this illness. Think about the faith. To go through this incredible trial year after year and just say, look, God's either going to heal me or he's going to use this in me. And so she could walk by faith even through life's hardest of circumstance. I got to hear a story of my friend Steve who uh, he had a really good job at a good company. Uh, He was making a decent amount of money, but he felt this calling in his heart that the Lord was saying to give that up and to go into full-time ministry. So imagine he's leaving a big salary and provision to go and raise support. He's leaving the known, what he knows, to walk into the unknown. He's got a wife and kids, and he said that if the Lord was calling him to do it, he could easily walk in faith, give up everything that the world would say. That's foolish. You don't give up a big job with big money. You've got to provide and protect and care for your family, your house, and all this stuff. And he said, if God's calling me to it, I can do it. That's just incredible faith. I got to hear another story of a lady named Caitlin in our church. Uh, and she had a great grandma that was sick. And Caitlin, because of her faith in the Lord, uh, said before, as as the health was declining for great-grandma, she was in the hospital, she got in a car, drove a few hours to get to the hospital so that one last time she could preach the gospel. She had a faith that the Lord does save and that the Lord can save, even in the last moment. And that faith drove her literally out to a hospital to go and preach the gospel. I mean, just, a, just immense faith that the Lord still works. I mean, it was awesome. But I love here that in this verse, Paul doesn't just highlight the vertical relationship, right? Just our faith in the Lord. But he says, not only do you have faith in the Lord, but you also have a love toward all the saints. And I get to hear stories of this too. And one of the ones that's been most prevalent in my life that I get to see most up close is uh, just how my wife lives this out. If you know her, you know that she just tirelessly loves other people. She is constantly hosting people, making meals for people. She's on the phone with people. She's at people's houses and events. And she just literally goes nonstop all day trying to care for myself and our son, for people in our church, the people that she loves. And she does that because she knows that she's been loved by God. And she just wants to show people that they are cared for and known. It's just incredible, just the love and the selflessness in that. I got to hear another story about uh, a family in our church, the Bakers. And uh, they had been hearing recently some of the stories that have been going on in our city with the, the refugee apartments. Uh, and just that the, uh, either they were getting condemned or just in really bad situations. And so uh, they had been for a while kind of saving up and uh, storing up some money for different things. And they felt this conviction recently that if that's going on in our city that they need to step in and help. And so uh, they got connected with somebody who's setting up an organization where you can give to help buy houses that are good, cheap, affordable houses for these refugee families to actually have a place to live in our city. 
It's amazing. They've been freed from materialism and from the love of money because they know that Christ has saved them, redeemed them, and they now get to live with open hands and say, I can love other people with what God has given me. And I got to hear, let me give you one more, just story after story, week after week of ladies like Debbie and Vicky and Audrey in our church who, if you know them, you've probably heard stories of how they just give up their life for women who have just gone through some really hard things. And day, every week, I talk to them. And they have another story of how they preach the gospel to this person. They've been a comfort for this person. I mean, just week after week, there's people in our church that are here because one of those women have said, I want to love and care for you. And this is unbelievable. And so, like Paul in verse 16, I just want to reiterate, uh, Providence, I do not cease to give thanks for you. I mean, we're a young little church plant. There's, I have another 10 stories that I'm not sharing and dozens more going on in the church that I probably don't even know about, that we're living out of faith and love. And so I just needed to say this morning, uh, good work. Good work. The gospel should always not just affect us, but it should be played out in our lives in faith and in love. And so for us, for a church that, you know, we're not perfect by any means, we're not killing it 100%, but for a church that's starting off well, that's understood the gospel that's walking in faith and love, what is our greatest need? Well, what does a church like ours need? Well, look at verse 16 and 17, and we're going to hear what Paul says. So he says, Because of their faith and love, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of of him. Paul prays for the church to receive wisdom and revelation for one thing. He wants one main thing for them that they would know God. What does the church need today? I think the greatest answer, according to Ephesians 1, is that the church needs to know God. He says, I pray that you would have a spirit of wisdom and that you, it would be revealed to you that you would have a knowledge of him that is God. And I want you to think about this. He's writing this to the church. So Paul isn't saying, you know, those, those non-believers, they need to know God, right? The people that have never heard about God, they need to know God. Or the, those outside the church, the sinners and the rebels, and those people need to know God. He, he'll say that. He says, I want the church to know God. The ones who know that they've been blessed with every spiritual blessing, like verse 3 says. The one who knows they've been predestined by God and redeemed by God and sealed by God. It is they who Paul says, I want you to know God. So providence, my prayer has been that we would be a church that deeply and truly and intimately knows God. And my prayer is not for us just to know a few more facts about God, or simply to memorize a few more verses, because the connotation here is not factual, it's relational. Uh, What he's talking about in this knowledge of God is not information. It's not just that you would know more facts, it's that you would know him intimately. It's a relational term, that you would be more intimately uh, connected with God. I loved in our sermon prep meeting this week, uh, Kim on our staff team, she said, man, I think Paul's main point here is simply this. Knowing God is everything. I thought, man, how simple and profound. 
I think that's exactly what Paul's saying here, is that knowing God is everything. For us as a church, the greatest need is that we would know deeper what we already know. I think that's what Paul's saying here, that you would believe deeper what you already believe. Now, I do want to say, if you're thinking, uh, if there's anything rising up in you that's like, okay, sure, I get that, we need to know God, but you're just talking about like, Bible studies and holy huddles and you just got to like, we just got to hunker down and we got to think about theology and read books and, and do all that. And you just think, no, no, no. I, God says we got to be on mission. Like we got to go to people. We got to be living in the city. We got to be doing all these things. I need to love people. I don't need to just sit here and think about God. I, I want to say one thing. If that, if that kind of rises up in you or that kind of creeps into your mind, let me say quickly that all of those things, which are good things, caring about Racial reconciliation and fighting against abortion and loving people and being, you know, people in culture and all that stuff. That's good things. But those things will become fads in your life or they will eventually be fueled by false motives if it's not driven by a knowledge of God. That's just the way. It, it, it will either become a quick fad that you care about for a couple years or it will eventually be fueled by false motives unless it's driven by an intimate relationship with God. And the reality is, you cannot know God more and love people less. It just doesn't work. God is the most purest and extreme and passionate form of love for people. You cannot learn about him more, be in a closer relationship with him, and love people less. And so, if we know God, if that's the, the, the bottom, kind of the core of it, you're not going to want to serve the homeless Uh, simply because it's a nice thing to do or you feel bad. You're going to do it because you know that God has a heart for people in need. You're not going to fight for racial reconciliation because of past experiences or or just simply because uh, it's the cool thing to do in the church today. You're going to start to do that because you know that God's saving a people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And racial divisions are anti-gospel and anti-the nature of God. And it's just going to start to flow out of you. You're not going to fight against abortion because you're politically red. You'll start to do it because you know that God speaks for those oppressed who don't have a voice for themselves. And you will know that right now there's no greater demographic than the unborn that's like that. And so you will start to fight for that because you know God. Knowing God is the greatest need in the church because all the other needs will flow more purely and passionately when you begin To know God. Therefore, our great need in the church today, verse 17 says, is to know God. Now, Paul, from this point forward, uh, he's going to kind of specify a little bit. So that's kind of think of that as like the baseline. Like our greatest need is to know God. And he's going to give us three things about our relationship with God that he wants us to really know. So three aspects to our relationship with God that will help us know him more and live for him more. And so uh, here's my three prayers this week for Providence Church from verses 18 and 19. So look with me, let's read it, and then we'll quickly just walk through these three things. Uh, Verse 18 says that we'd have a knowledge of him having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working 
of his great might. So Paul prays that the church would have the eyes of their hearts enlightened. And when you, when you read that, that just simply means like the, the soul, like your innermost being, the core of who you are, that that would be enlightened. And again, when you think of enlightened, I don't know if anybody cares at all about philosophy or history, but don't think like the age of enlightenment when we thought we could just reason everything and we just had to make sense of everything in our minds. I love that Paul's saying you need to be enlightened, but he's not teaching you anything. He's praying for you because this enlightenment needs to be received and not just thought out and understood. And so he says, I'm going to pray three things that your hearts would come alive to. So here's my three prayers for Providence Church from these verses. Uh, First, I pray that Providence would know our hope in God. Look at verse 18. He says that we would know what is the hope to which he has called you. So my first prayer is that we would know the hope that we have in God. I love that one commentator said that hope is like faith standing on its tiptoes. What he's saying is that hope is, is something in the future that your faith is like peering over at. You're just trying to get a glimpse of it. It's, it's in your mind coming in the future. Romans 8.24 says that hope isn't seen because if it was seen it wouldn't be hope, you would just see it. And so hope is something in the future, something that's coming. But look at what he says in verse 18. He says that this is a hope that God has called us to. So if you think back to a few weeks ago in Ephesians 1 verse 4, he talks about what he has called us to. He says that you've been called or chosen to be holy and blameless. And we talked about it a couple weeks ago that now we taste some of that, right? We, we know a little bit of holiness and blamelessness. So there's some days where you choose good things. You choose to live right, and there's other days where you don't. There's, there's times where you, you live according to God's will for your life, and there's times where you don't. There's times where you are truly innocent in a situation, and there's times when there's blame on you. You see, we taste it, but he's talking about a time when you won't have to just taste it, it will be your full reality. What's the hope of the church? That one day all things will be made new and we will be fully holy and blameless. Full salvation is coming for the church. What God has called us to in the past and what we taste a little bit right now is going to be our full reality one day. So just imagine, the church one day will no longer be divided. In any way, no divisions one day. The church one day will shed off all of its hypocrisy. It won't define the church. It won't won't mark us anymore. The church one day will leave behind all of its addictions, all of its shortcomings. The church will one day leave behind its propensity to hurt one another. The scars and the wounds that we cause one another will one day no longer be there. The church will shed All of those things one day when God comes back and he makes all things new. That's our future. That's our hope. And that's why today we taste that stuff and we live for that because that is our home. That's our future. That's who you truly are. That's the great hope you have. And I love that uh, Emil Bruner once said that um, such oxygen, what, what oxygen is to the lungs, such is hope to the meaning of life. He said, just like your lungs need oxygen, your life needs 
hope. We don't function without it. And that means that for Christians, for the church, we have life to the fullest more than anybody else because we have a hope that's unfading, that's imperishable, that is coming. Remember, God planned it, Jesus bought it, the Holy Spirit sealed it. It's yours, it's coming, and that's what we long for? Is that the hope that drives you? Would you say each morning you wake up and your faith is standing on its tiptoes, just living in light of the hope that is to come? That's our first prayer. The second one, providence, that we would know our value in God. Look at the next phrase in verse 18. He says that we would know what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. So right away when I read this, uh, I somewhat assumed that what he's talking about here is the inheritance that we receive. Right? If you've read through the New Testament, it often talks about this inheritance that Christians get. That one day God is going to make all things new and he's doing that to give to you. Like it's this amazing, beautiful truth. But the more I read this, the more I thought, you know, I don't actually think that specifically, while that's true, is what Paul's talking about here. Instead... I think Paul is saying that he wants us to know not what our inheritance is, but how we are God's inheritance. Look, look at this verse. He says um, that we should know what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. I think what he's saying here is that the church, that saints just means Christians, so that the church is God's inheritance. I want us to think about that for a moment. Because that's pretty crazy, <laughs> that the, the prize at the end of the world, the possession, the inheritance, what God is looking forward to at the end is us. <laughs> like we're his inheritance, he's what he's longing to get fully and glorified. And think about all the amazing things in the world. Like there's, there's beautiful, amazing things. Like I thought this week about, you know, these beautiful mountain ranges and the, the oceans and the power and the depth that's there. I thought about uh, mansions and millions of dollars and all the great people of the world and the great like Bulls dynasty of the 90s or the Patriots dynasty today. Like all the great teams and people and things and everything in the world. All of that, which is good. God says, I'm most looking forward to the church. I want the church. He's creating not just amazing things around us. He's creating a beautiful church. You are his inheritance. And so quickly, I want to ask you two things. One, is that how you view the church? Do you have God's eyes on how you view the church? That this is a beautiful people. That yes, we're sinful, we're broken, we're messy. But we are a people that's destined for glory. And God loves that day. He's longing for that day. Do we view the church like that? And secondly, we are a people that consistently long for value, for validation, and approval. One of my prayers this week is that we would know if God values the church that much and you're a part of the church, you have full value and approval in God. That he's looking at you. He has saved you and brought you into the church so that he could have you fully one day. He's creating you to be new. He's making you holy and blameless so that you can be with him one day. He is waiting to send Jesus back to earth so that he can gather you up with all of his people and he can say, finally, they're mine. They're mine, fully and glorified. You're the inheritance of God. The church should be hope-filled but also extremely secure because we know our value 
and how God desires us. So that's the second thing. The last thing, final prayer is that providence would know our power in God. Look at verse 19. He says, And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might? He's saying, Church, I want you to know the power that you have in God. Last week, I was uh, talking with a member of our church, Raven, and she was talking to a few of us, and she was telling us about these kickboxing classes that she started, which was awesome, I guess. And so she's doing this kickboxing stuff, and she said, so you know, I've been doing this for a little while now, and I kind of feel, uh, I feel more equipped and empowered, because I kind of know some defensive moves. And so she even said, she's like, I could walk down the street by myself or down an alley, and I, kinda, I don't feel as afraid anymore. And I think that's still probably not a good idea, but I, I get what she's saying because she's saying essentially, look, because I've been empowered, because I know some defensive moves that can defend me, the fear that would usually be there has kind of drifted away. And she got so much into that that she may or may not have threatened to kick Jared at one point, but um, she didn't, although he isn't in the room today, so take that for what you will. Um, but she didn't, she didn't, but... The point was, as she was saying, is look, because I've been empowered, because I, am, I feel a little bit more equipped to defend myself, the fear that's usually there, when you feel empowered, that fear begins to drift. It begins to go away. Providence, I prayed this week that you would know the power that you have in God. And I don't want you just to kind of uh, theoretically or in an ethereal sense get this. I want to give a little bit of color to this. So look again at these verses at verse 19. I want you to see exactly the type of power that you have in God. Um, so in this, the word that he uses for power here, that is he asks for you to know the power, is this uh, original language is the word dunamis, which is the word that we get dynamite. So when you see in your Bible, it say the power of God, I want you to think the dynamite. Like that's the type of power. And you know, if, if dynamite explodes, there's not much that's going to stop it. Like, that's powerful. So when you see that word power, I want you to think this is God's dynamite, that he's exploding here, all right? Now, if you go down a little bit, it says, uh, who's he using that power towards? Us who believe. So that power, he has a source for it. He's putting it somewhere, and it's in the church. And then again, if you go down a little bit more, he says that he's doing this according to the working of his great might. That word working is where we get our English word energy. So think about God who never tires, never fatigues, never slows down. He's got endless energy energy and unstoppable power and God says those are the two things that I'm channeling for you the power that you have is the Lord Almighty and his endless energy and commitment to defending us providence can you fathom a greater source of power and energy to defend yourself with than the God of the universe he says I will expend my energy and power on your behalf. It's why over and over and over again the Bible says, don't be afraid. Fear not. Do not fear these things of life. Not because life is going to be easy, but because you have the power and energy of God on your side. You can walk down the dark alley of life's crappy circumstances because you've got the power of God defending you. My prayer this week is that we would know this power. 
Now let me end with this. Um, I love that Paul, he tells us about this power, but I love these last four verses, 20 through 23. It's almost to me this uh, kind of illustration. He's like, if you really want, if you want to know what this power is like, this, this dynamite type power that God has, let me give you an example of it in one way that God used this power. So I want to read 20 through 23, and as I read this, you can close your eyes, you can look it on the screens. I want you to know that this is the type of power at work in your life if you are part of the church. So in verse 20, he says that it's this power that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all providence. Would you know that the power that raised Jesus from the grave is at work in you? The power that didn't just raise him from the dead, but seated him on the throne room of heaven right next to the Father, that's the power that's at work in you. The power that is greater, he says, than any dominion, authority, power, or anything in this world, that's the power that is work, at work in you. More powerful than any nation, any president, any king, any galaxy is the power of Jesus that's at work in you. The power that's not only over this world, but he says also in the one to come. There's no realm or being or thing in the universe for now or forever that's more powerful than Jesus. And that's the power in you. The church, historically, past, present, and future, we're all bound up in one body, and he says that he has placed Jesus as the head, and that's the power that is in you. The one who fills all, is in all, is working in all, is in you. This is amazing that the same power of the risen King Jesus is at work in you. I love F.F. Bruce said, if the death of Christ is the supreme demonstration of the love of God, then this resurrection and ascension of Christ is the supreme demonstration of the power of God. If you want to know the type of power you have, look no further than verses 20 and 23. Because Jesus did die for our sins, but he rose again, is seated on the throne, and has a name above every name for now and eternity. And if you are in Christ, you are in him. That's your power. So providence, would this be true of us? Would we walk in this, that we would walk in hope, security, knowing our value in God, and the power that we have in Christ? Let me pray. Father, you are so good to your church that you would take a group of misfits and screw-ups and sinners, the rebellious and the overly righteous, and from all time, you would create a people that is diverse and unified only in the blood of Jesus. God, would you now help us to see this? As Paul prayed, would we have the eyes of our hearts enlightened to this? God, we walk in with um, sleepy hearts, with apathetic hearts, with dead hearts, with, with just hearts that are not awakened to these truths. They have not been enlightened to this, God. But I love that Paul simply said, I'm going to pray that that is true of this church. And so, God, I plead on behalf of our church today, would you awaken a sense of awe and wonder that we have a hope that is unfading, a value that is more precious than anything else in the world, and we have a power that can defend us, that we have no need for fear or anything else, God, because you have a power that you have given us. And would all of that just help us to know you more? 
We just want to know you more. We want those things to define us and that we would walk in them. We pray this all because we need your spirit to do this right now.